Welcome to Talking Physio, an Australian Physiotherapy Association podcast, which aims to demystify some of the amazing research going on in the physiotherapy space, open a dialogue on some key issues of interest to healthcare professionals more generally, and really just to get some interesting physio-to-physio conversations underway. A topic of real interest in this space is, of course, physical activity prescription, especially in reference to children. It's also a very timely topic. Just last year, Active Healthy Kids Australia gave Aussie kids an overall physical activity level rating of a D-. That's already a failing rate across the board. But children with disabilities are often even less physically active than their peers for multiple reasons. And that paints a pretty dire picture. And that's where physiotherapy can come in. To mark International Day of Disability, APA physiotherapists Georgina Clutterbuck and Dr. Leanne Johnson jumped on the microphone to discuss Georgina's PhD work, which looks to help break down the barriers for children with disabilities in becoming physically active or more physically active, and how physiotherapists can work to build children's confidence with physical activity. So just before I hand the microphone over, this episode is again proudly supported by FlexEase, Australia's number one heat wrap. Thank you, Flexies, for your support. Let's get into it. Hi, I'm Georgina Clutterbuck. I'm uh, finishing off my PhD at the moment, and I'm here with my supervisor, Dr. Leanne Johnston, and we're talking about sports participation for kids with disabilities. So a little bit about me is I'm a physio. I've been working with kids with disabilities for, oh, it's coming up on a decade now and I've been doing all this really great really fun research and that's why I wanted to chat today was because it's really enjoyable stuff. Leanne do you want to introduce yourself? Hi I'm Leanne Johnston I'm a research academic at the University of Queensland I'm also a physiotherapist I've got a lot of background in playing sport all the sorts of popular sports in Australia and I always thought when I became a physio that I'd be working in sports physio Uh, and so it wasn't until I started to work in paediatrics at a children's tertiary hospital that I started to think about how children with disabilities might need to have some assistance to access sport and to participate in sport so I've done a fair bit of research on that since that time and it's been really great to work with Georgina with her population. I guess my experience in sport, I'm way less coordinated than Leanne, who I believe is a netball player. Is that right? Yeah, netball, touch football, anything with a ball. (laughs) And I I enjoy playing things with a ball, but I'm not very good at catching, throwing or kicking said ball. So I uh, was an enthusiastic participant in some of those things early on, but I uh, settled on things like equestrian and running for the, the things that I excelled in a little bit bit more which didn't involve hitting people with the uh, the equipment accidentally so and Leanne you've got a, a daughter Katie as well who participates in netball as well I do and I think that's given me another perspective because she's in early primary school age group at the moment there's so many different sports offered to children in Australia at that level so she swims competitively she plays water polo she plays netball she plays touch football um, she plays basketball so she plays a whole range of sports and can just go from one to the other on any given day of the week when I compare that to children with disabilities we really don't see them having that level of opportunity even to participate or to attend these types of sessions let alone to become really involved and to pursue their dreams in that area. 
Absolutely. And I think that leads on to uh, the sports participation framework that we created as part of some of the research that we're doing. And so the typical pathway for kids to participate in sports starts out with those organised junior entry point programs like Net Set Go for netball and Kick and the, the mini ruse for soccer. And then kids, after they get some of those skills, might move into some recreational sport and then into some competitive team sport and possibly all the way up to to the Olympics. And do you think, where's Katie at on that framework now? She has done quite a lot of the O level on your sports framework. So she's done a lot of those net set go type programs and really enjoyed those. And I think one of the benefits for young children is just that non-competitive opportunity to try and see, do I even like this sport? Do I even like where I have to go to play this sport or the day of the week that it's on? Or, you know, is it something that I can cope with and play with my friends? Are my friends playing? So all of those sorts of questions are really important at that level. And then from there, they can choose what they like and what their friends like and how they can join in together. And so the kids we're seeing with disabilities, we know that they're participating in a whole lot less sport than uh, typically developing kids. And we heard earlier in the conference about our Australian report card on physical activity and sport was one of the ones that we, we scored a B plus on. But I don't think that's reflective of the kids that we're seeing in in our population of kids with disabilities. And so I think it's really important, even though it might appear that Australia's got this really great sporting culture, that we're including um, our kids with disabilities into that sporting culture as well. That's right. Um, Some of the previous research we've done has even just looked at basic physical activity volume for children with disabilities and children with moderate to severe levels of disability don't even get the basic volume, let alone the ability to participate in something that they enjoy and that they like and that's fun with um, other kids as well and that has those health benefits psychologically, socially and physically. I think when we think about sport for children with disabilities, we're more likely to think about the Paralympics and some very selected groups of people that have been able to participate at a very high level. And we tend not to think so much about the whole population of people with disabilities being able to access opportunities. Absolutely. And we work with a lot of kids who are trying to get into sport and that's sitting at the very beginning of the sports participation framework at this screening goal setting and individual preparation stage. And I think as physios, we're really good for preparing kids physically for sports participation, but there's still a really big gap between doing physio in a clinic with a physiotherapist and actually going to one of those net set go groups uh, with a, a mainstream population for the first time. So one of the things we looked at was was developing a program to help uh, bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Having treated lots of kids over the years who've had sport-related goals, you tend to be seeing them in a clinic situation and they may have a goal related to sport, um, but unless the particular service you work for allows you to go on visits to the sporting venue, you never actually really get to see how they go in trying sports out. So you can give the best advice that you can to parents and to kids in trying to select a sport, but then they really go out on their own into the, the great world to try that out with without any sort of assistance. 
And there's, there's so many barriers that these kids are experiencing. We, we see a lot of the physical barriers, so their ability to be able to rotate through their body to bat a ball or their cardiorespiratory function. But I think a lot of the time the other barriers, so the social barriers, cognitive barriers and psychological barriers, can be even greater barriers to people participating in sport for the long term and especially making that first step in the transition. I agree. And children develop the whole of themselves at a different rate. So some children are going to develop their physical skills more quickly. Some children take a lot longer to learn, say, the cognitive aspects of a game like, okay, this is a race. You know, when the person says go, you need to go as fast as you can. So it takes them a long time sometimes to learn those aspects or the rules associated with the game. And confidence seems to be super important you know, whether or not you can do something is quite different to whether or not you feel like you can do something. Absolutely. And those are the kind of things that are even harder to work on in an individual session. It's really hard to work on teamwork when you're you're there by yourself with your uh, therapy equipment. So that's one of the reasons that we developed our Sports Stars, which is a transition to sport group. So it's a transition-focused peer group sports intervention for children with disabilities. And Sports Stars originally came from my involvement with Education Queensland when I was working there. And we just saw that these kids who were at school weren't getting any kind of physical education at all, which is part of the curriculum in Australia. And so the other physios there and I just started going in and seeing what kind of sports activities we could provide in a therapeutic environment and it just worked so well that we wanted to extend it further in as widely as we could and research I guess is the way to get started on that. (laughs) I think that's terrific because when you think about the Australian curriculum framework physical um, education is a major part of the Australian curriculum alongside other things like maths and English and science so it's really important that our children can participate in the curriculum at that level but then also take those learnings to sport and recreation outside of school so that they get lifelong commitment and enjoyment in physical activity so that has lots of health benefits as well as education benefits. And staying on that that topic of education is what we've just described is the ability to be physically literate. So to have the physical literacy needed to participate in meaningful lifelong physical activity is really, really important. And the four domains of physical literacy, uh, we'll say over and over again, are the physical, the social, the cognitive and the psychological domains. And they're like four walls of a house in that if you're missing one wall, the rain is going to get in and it's not going to be a very nice house to live in or a very effective house at keeping dry. So it's really important that we build up all four domains in our kids so that they're able to participate in that lifelong meaningful activity. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think coaches for typically developing children do this naturally. They naturally teach children about the rules of the game. They naturally do confidence building to help children stay engaged. They naturally build up that social interaction and teach children about how to work in a team. And this all runs in parallel to teaching them the physical skills, whether it's, you know, hitting with the bat on the tee ball or whether it's dribbling the soccer ball. It's all embedded within that physical literacy 
framework. So it's really useful for health practitioners to think about transitioning from a medical deficit related model in their own mind when um, working with children with disabilities to away from um, the deficit-based approach and towards that kind of participation and strengths-based approach. Absolutely. So at the moment, there's a couple of interventions that have been in the research that are sports-focused interventions. These are in the preliminary stages. So they're starting to look at, well, does sports-focused physiotherapy actually have an effect, which is really great. But the downside of these interventions that have been studied is they're really not transition focused. So they're wonderful interventions in their own right, but as soon as they're over, kids are back at where they started in terms of actually participating in anything. Have you had any experience in any groups like that, that when they disappear, they're just done? Do you know what? I think one of the other limitations is it depends on where you live. Um, in some places in Australia, these programs don't exist at all. So there really isn't anywhere for the children to go. So they're, they're not even getting getting an opportunity, actually. And they're really still working in that medical model. Or, you know, it's really sad to see sometimes kids on the sideline being the observer or the scorer or the watcher of other children participating and, and really wanting to join in themselves. I mean, we certainly have sort of sporting wheelies in different states which is you know an organization that will offer a range of different sports sometimes that's only for particular subgroups of children with disability uh, and adults with disability so you know the more of these types of programs that can be offered in a local setting the better because really we want that lifelong participation absolutely and there's uh, some practitioners or sports organisations that are really wanting to get involved and so they might offer uh, come and try days or short-term programs but that's not uh, necessarily a, a lasting participation opportunity and what you said about where you are really mattering is important as well because a lot of the interventions that were studied were things like downhill skiing or ice skating which are not necessarily great for our climate here in Australia so we're we're really interested in researching the kinds of sports that we can transfer to our population so soccer and netball and t-ball cricket Aussie rules those kind of fun things and I think when therapists become involved in uh, that transition it's encouraging them to to link in with sports coaches and PE teachers to develop their skills in physical literacy in being able to coach children with a disability so we have to come and meet them halfway don't we Um, so that we can help that transition to occur Yeah, physical literacy is so relevant to our kids with disabilities and it's uh, there was a position statement released just a couple of days ago that does say that physical literacy is is a framework for all people, but it doesn't overtly state that it's for children with disabilities. And I think it's really important uh, when we're talking about physical activity that marginalised groups such as kids with disabilities are really overtly included in that because otherwise people assume that it's just not relevant because they've got... uh, challenges in their movement whereas it's potentially even more relevant to them in that case. That's right it's sort of thinking about a spectrum of ability levels and how a whole range of people at different ages different levels of ability can participate using the framework. Yeah absolutely. So you mentioned your sports stars what was the target audience for sports stars? 
So we looked at ambulant children with cerebral palsy, so those kids who are getting around without any walking frames or sticks or anything, and looking at school-aged kids, so between the ages of 6 and 12 for this group. But I think it's really important that these kind of groups are translatable across different mobility levels and kids with different diagnoses as well. That's where the the physiotherapy problem-solving comes in, is how to adapt those to the different populations, and then how those children would go on to transition into different opportunities. So someone at GMFCS level one or two might want to go into just recreational mainstream sport or they might want to go on to competitive Paralympic sport. And it's about that person's individual motivation and skills and basically every level of the physical literacy framework as to where they go with that. So you mentioned that um, the children with cerebral palsy in your study didn't need to use sticks or wheelchairs at all. How would you describe their major limitations with movement or mobility for people who don't know cerebral palsy very well? Yeah, so these children are having trouble with their balance, their um, ability to perform more complex movements. And this comes from changes in muscle tone and spasticity or different motor impairments such as dyskinesia or hypotonia. And so this affects uh, all of their movements. So their ability to have postural stability, to then be able to utilize equipment, so as well as their ability to do locomotor activity. And so these kids look relatively able in a constrained environment, but when they get out onto the sports field where there's uneven terrain and there's lots of movement and other kids and lots of things happening at once, that's where we can see the challenges coming up a little bit more. Yeah, I can see how they would still really struggle with doing sports, particularly if it's a grassy area or they're having to go on uneven ground. That level of balance and coordination required would be difficult. Yeah, yeah. very difficult. Yeah. And their, um, their centre of balance can be off and a decreased base of support if they're up on their toes just makes these things even even harder. And then it it connects in with if they're wearing their AFOs and whether that makes movement easier or they're then unable to wear the same footy boots that the other kids are wearing because they don't fit in. And so there's a whole other range of environmental and personal challenges that go go on there that need to be problem solved by, by us as physios. So what sports were in the Sports Stars program? We looked at those popular mainstream sports, so soccer, netball, t-ball and cricket, because those provided the most opportunities for kids to then transition into community sports. And these sports also helped to give kids the widest range of skills. So soccer, uh, kids aren't having to throw and catch and at the very basic level they can walk into the ball and have an effect of moving that ball forward so it allowed us to give a a level of success right in the beginning which was really lovely to see and really important for that confidence building in the psychological domain. We then moved on to netball, which was reported to be one of the, the trickiest ones to do with the having to stop and throw and catch and coordinate all of those movements. And then we started to bring in some more equipment with the batting ones. So batting off a tee for tee ball with a stationary ball 
and then starting to work on pitching and batting a moving ball in cricket, which was a lot of fun. By the time the kids got to the end of their eight-week program and they were doing some batting, pitching and and fielding, it was an exciting time for the group. Mm. And um, how could you tell that the children were enjoying being there and, and participating? Yeah, so as well as just observation and the fact that the kids are reporting that they're enjoying going, we also had very high attendance for this group. So most children, over 85% of children, were attending almost all of their sessions. And I think that just demonstrates that they liked it and they came back. We also recorded or got the physiotherapist to record their engagement in each part of the session. First of all, so that we could see if there were any changes in their engagement, but also so that we could see what kinds of activities were the most engaging for the children. And the last activity that we did every session, which was a modified game scenario, was always the most engaging which is great to see because that's the most similar to what these kids are going to go and do in the community. So it's showing these kids that they're having great success, building their confidence and they're able to participate and therefore they feel more confident to make that next transition into community sports. So with community in mind, whereabouts did you hold your sports stars groups? We held these all in community parks so that they were out in the real world environment and we also held them across Queensland, so in metro, uh, regional and rural areas. And each of these had their own challenges associated with them. The metro areas were often quite hard to find a a park after school with enough space for us to um, stake our claim and enjoy those activities there. But the rural locations, we often had kids who were spread over a, a wider geographical area. So recruiting a group there can be more challenging. I think something that is really great for therapists hoping to run these groups is that we were restrained by uh, exclusion criteria of kids who had Botox or surgery and also that they specifically had to have a diagnosis of CP. Whereas if you ran this in the community, you'd use a wider range of kids and you'd probably focus on their ability to socially get along with each other and their cognitive level more so than their specific diagnosis or physical skills. So it sounds like one of the positive things is the experience for the therapists and even thinking about delivering therapy outside of the clinic. Is that something that the therapists talked about? They did. They We did some post-intervention surveys and most of the therapists said that for kids with sports-focused goals, that they would prefer to provide an intervention like Sports Stars in the future. And so they really respected the fact that they were providing this intervention in a relevant environment, so in the uh, community, and with a peer group, which allows the kids to develop all the physical literacy domains. It makes sense, doesn't it, that you get what you train. So if you want to get better at sport, you really need to be in a sporting environment and practicing sporting skills with other kids playing in the way that you typically would for that sport. Even if it's slightly modified, that's going to be better than being in a clinic and doing something that's not as sport related. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that the stuff we're doing in the clinic is irrelevant. It just means that it's only part of the picture. So it sits at that screening and goal setting individual preparation stage. But once kids have done what they need to individually, they need to move on to a group so that they're able to build those other skills and then transition. And it's been a part of our practice that's been really missing. 
And I think the research that we're doing at the moment is really important to show physios that it's not just playing sports, it is a therapeutic program that on the surface might look like playing sports, but has so much else going on underneath the surface. So you measured a lot of benefits from the program. What were the physical benefits that you saw? Uh, So physical benefits, the children improved in both their locomotor and object control skills, and they also achieved the goals that they set relating to activity competence. So they achieved goals such as being able to catch a ball with two hands or being able to kick a ball through the goals. And that was really great because they improved both their uh, performance of those skills, but also their satisfaction with how good they felt about how they could perform the skills. And what about from a cognitive aspect? What do you think they learned or what knowledge did they gain? I think this was really wonderful to see that kids, when they first came into the group, didn't know how to play sports. So they were able to learn over the eight weeks the basic rules of each of these four sports and how to score a goal or how to make a pass or how to start to learn some tactics about how they were going to be competitive with a team. As well as those more complex things, they were able to just cognitively learn about how to improve their physical skills. So the cognitive and the physical go hand in hand. And I guess being in a team type situation, there were some social aspects. How many kids were working together and what sorts of social benefits did that bring to the group? We had four to six kids in our group and the physios reported that it worked better when it was closer to that six number, especially if sometimes kids were unwell or weren't able to attend. And we had some siblings come in to participate as well and work with their siblings. And the social benefits of that were just amazing. The parents reported that that was their favorite thing about the group. They were able to come and see kids just like them participating in sport and having this sense of achievement and making friends that they were then able to even link up with for future participation. There was also a huge social benefit for the parents who came. So parents can often get a a huge social connection from meeting other parents of a a similar age children at their sports clubs and these parents of kids with disabilities who weren't getting those opportunities hadn't had those connections before so we had parent groups who started having regular meetups or who started a, a basketball group for their kids afterwards or had barbecues at the final sports stars session as a celebration of what they'd achieved and so the social benefits were just amazing to see and and really heartwarming part of the work. That's terrific isn't it it sounds like the parents then took on the idea of transition themselves if they're starting their own basketball groups and and whatnot that's great to see isn't it and you mentioned earlier in the physical literacy framework that the psychological aspect is a really important aspect to consider as well what what do you mean by that and what did the kids get out of this group psychologically? Yeah so the psychological dimension is quite a large one but the biggest thing we focused on here was simply confidence. So a having the confidence to attend a group just by simulating the environment and allowing them to become familiar with attending the group in a community environment with other kids uh, allowed them to take that first step of transition 
but then also the confidence to be more involved in the activities when they were there. So being able to put up their hand and say, I'll take a go at batting next, or even simply being confident enough to run towards the ball when they were doing the fielding and give things a go. Because if you're there, but not actively involved, it's only a little bit better than not being there in the first place. That's interesting, isn't it? It's really great to see that you did get outcomes at those four different levels. I think perhaps physios don't always think about the psychological, social and cognitive level. They're perhaps focused more on the physical level. So maybe that's a tip for when we're doing research that we can include some measures at those levels to see the the broader influence that physiotherapy and, and I guess you could even call it health sports and what they might have on a person's health and well-being. I wonder if you are giving some tips then to practitioners who haven't done this type of intervention before. Um, What should they be thinking about in terms of running a group like this and what would the considerations be in terms of, you know, which children should be participating, how many sessions might they offer, where should they do it? What were the sort of things you'd like to recommend? The first thing I'd say for anyone wanting to run a group like this, or if you have a a group of kids who want to get into sport, is to just give it a go. Don't let your fear about the fact that it's unknown get in the way of running a, a great intervention. The second thing is that it's about breaking down all the skills and doing all the things you already know how to do, but thinking about them across those four domains of physical literacy. So when you're training an activity like batting to also build in that positive encouragement and reassurance about the fact that they are achieving what they're meant to be achieving in that activity. In terms of the planning side of things, uh, this is where it's the less fun side. It's not the the out there having, having fun with the kids. But remember that you're doing this intervention for a number of children. So the administration time is split between the kids. If you did eight sessions of individual therapy for your six kids, that's a lot more administration time for each session rather than squishing it down into a group and the kids are getting double the benefits and you're doing probably about the same amount of administration time. And as you get more efficient at it, probably less administration time in the long term. I can see what you mean because some people might be afraid that getting ready for a group would take a lot of time but when you divide that time up amongst the number of kids who are in the group it's probably less per child in the end when we're thinking about preparation time. Absolutely and especially when you get more used to running these groups and it becomes a little bit more secondhand. For that planning process, because it is a transition program, we like to keep the groups relatively short. So between uh, six to 10 weeks to fit within a school term to allow children to get a taster of different groups with the ultimate aim of transitioning onwards and making sure that it's in that real world environment. So whether that's an outdoor sports field or to make it a little bit easier in terms of not having to reschedule for rain or hot weather, doing it in an indoor sports facility, but making sure it's still that community environment I think is really important. That's a good idea. Lots of schools would have halls, indoor halls and whatnot that you could hire or or use. Mm. Yeah, or even the um, doing it in a school oval but having the undercover area there available for weather, wet weather option. And is the content in the program, is that a set amount of content or can the therapists adjust the content depending on which kids are in their group? 
It's really adjustable. So the program that we ran with uh, Sports Stars, we had different levels of difficulty that physiotherapists could use their clinical judgment and progress children as they improved. And children did improve over just two weeks of the same sport. They would improve on their physical, cognitive, social and psychological performance just over the two weeks. And so with sports stars they had flexibility with that and I'd I'd written the whole program so it was easy to follow what was included each week but when writing your own program you can include any sport that the children are interested in the biggest thing is to make sure that it's a sport that is accessible within the community that you work in so if you are in Canada where it's icy doing downhill skiing is a reasonable thing to include in your group but if you're in Australia would be looking more at those team sports which do have added teamwork and and social benefits That's a great idea and I could see actually if you were able to say what level the child was at at the end of the group that's a good communication point that you could have with a coach isn't it to say well here's where this child has got to in terms of our group and and now they're ready to enter your entry level sport and and go on with some further activities in your group. Yeah, and that's the next step is to create some really standardised transition points when children are ready to make that step to help that process go really seamlessly and allow us to connect our health sector with the sport and education sector more more neatly because at the moment we're still experiencing a bit of a gap. And I have to say, even with kids with typical development, you don't expect them to know the sport or be good at the sport when they start the sport. I was having a talk with Katie the other day because she's just started water polo. And while she's proficient at things like netball and some of the skills are the same, it's a totally different environment with the water being there. And so we did talk about how it's probably going to take a season or two for you to get up to speed with a lot of those new skills. So maybe that's what we should be thinking about more with kids with disabilities too. They don't have to be perfect or totally ready before they start that transition process just giving it a go is is a good step to take yeah and that's what we do in individual therapy is we keep trying to work on the physical skills and that's often not what's holding them back it's the confidence and the motivation to be able to do that or their understanding of of what the sport is and what's expected of them so that understanding of physical literacy is so fundamental to our ability to help these kids be more active and happy across their lives And what sorts of long-term health benefits do you think could occur if children with disabilities or any children really are participating more in sport and physical activity on a regular basis? We know so much about what's good about participating in more physical activity. So we know that it's going to reduce our risk of things like cancer and ischemic heart disease, which are two major morbidity factors, unfortunately. And we also know that it significantly improves our mental health, which is a really important thing especially in Australia at the moment. We just had our International Mental Health Day and so there's a lot of discussion now about the role of physiotherapists in mental health and that's pertinent to children with disabilities as well. Children with disabilities are going to grow up to be adults with disabilities who are going to have the pressures of employment and education and families. So having really positive coping strategies such as exercise and social participation in sport has so many benefits. 
And you've talked a little bit about the transition from perhaps physiotherapy through to sport, which would involve coaches and other people in the sporting field. Are there any other professions in the health disciplines who you think would be important to involve in this process? There's so many people in the health professionals that are important to involve. There's also groups being run by other health professionals. So there's groups being run by occupational therapists, especially in the area of kids with autism and looking at their sensory processing and their ability to manage their emotions and socialization. And so I think that's really important. And that's one of the reasons we've called these types of groups practitioner-led sports groups, because it's about the skills that each practitioner brings to providing these groups. That's really important. So depending on the child and their needs and the community that they're in, they may only have a physio or an occupational therapist, can depend on who's actually providing the group. But each individual health professional is going to bring their own individual skill set. So in our research, we got not only the perspectives of the physiotherapists, but we also talked to the parents about what they felt about the group. And we got such positive responses from them. And I think one of the biggest things that came through was that kids with disabilities are also just kids as well. And so all the things that are beneficial for typically developing kids are also really beneficial for our kids with disabilities. And that goes from just having somewhere to go that kids are like you and who can relate to you and go through the same experiences as you and that's just human nature and part of the human experience which I think is really important. And we're coming to the beginning of another school year very shortly where parents and teachers will be making decisions about what sorts of sporting activities are happening in the classroom and for physical activity and physical education at school. Parents will be making decisions about what groups that their children should join and and to keep them active after school and on weekends. What sorts of things could you think about that you know our general community could be aware of in the lead up to that stage? I think one thing that's really important to do is for people who are already providing sports programs to make it really obvious and inclusive for kids with disabilities. So I don't think it's enough just to say, oh, if someone approached us with a disability, we'd be happy for them to be included. I think they need to be overtly included in advertising and in um, snippets about the opportunities that are available. I would say, unfortunately, it often comes back to the people with the disability or their parents to do a little bit of that advocacy. And so even just asking your physiotherapist about holding a practitioner-led sports group is a really important thing to do because physiotherapists may not know that there's that desire from parents to participate in these kind of groups until they're asked. So I would say if you are a parent of a child with a disability who wants to get into sport, ask your physio about running a practitioner-led sports group with other kids. And maybe even trying to identify, you mentioned earlier about um, possible sports that might be available in your environment so that you've got a little bit of an idea and you can show the kids what sorts of goals they could be setting. So maybe in their environment there's swimming down the road or there's a t-ball team at the field, you know, over the hill so that they can see what their friends are doing and what they might participate in. 
Yeah, different communities have really different uh, opportunities available and it's so important to individualise our intervention, not only to the child, but to their environment so that they do have those opportunities to transition into. Because the idea as physiotherapists is that we make ourselves obsolete. We'd love it if our kids had the skills to be able to go on and participate in sport. What's more likely is they'll come back to us uh, to have different top-ups of therapy when they're experiencing different uh, challenges, but that they're then able to get some intervention and go on with participating in their enjoyable activities, just like any other kid. It's interesting that you say that. It's a partnership, isn't it, between um, the community, the practitioners, the families and the child working together. I guess that's really the same even for our elite sports people in, you know, Olympic level competition. They still go to their physio sometimes, don't they? But they do also spend a lot of time with their team and with their coach um, and being supported for many, many years by their family. So it's not too different when we really think about it that way. No, it's the exact same process. And that's why the sports participation framework is inclusive of all children. It just, again, makes it overtly obvious where children with disabilities can get that extra support to transition through the pathway and get that participation in the long term. Terrific. Well, thanks so much for talking to me about this today, Georgina. I've learned a lot and I think it gives us lots of motivation to be doing more of this type of positive intervention in a new way as physios in our community. Definitely. Thank you, Leanne, for joining me and I'm really excited about what's next in this area. So that was Georgina Clutterbuck and Dr Leanne Johnson and you've been listening to another episode of Talking Physio. One last chance to say thank you again to Flexies, who are a proud corporate partner of the APA, and they're also the exclusive partner of the Physiotherapy Research Foundation, which supports the profession by promoting, encouraging, and supporting research, just like we've talked about today, which advances physiotherapy knowledge and practice. Again, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I certainly did, and I hope to see you next time.